Um, no, but hey, tonight is really special to me. And that's not just because it's April night of worship and I get to spend time with you guys, but today is my one year marriage anniversary. All right. Made it to one year. The wife's in the house. Say hello. And, and here's the secret. I think, I think she's here tonight because I told her I was going to tell a little bit of a story poking fun at her. And I think she's here because she knew I probably wouldn't have told that story the way I was going to if she were in the room. So I'll go easy on you, okay? But no, marriage, marriage has been great. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. We made it to one year. Um, there are challenges. There are struggles along the way. But overall, it's been a beautiful thing. It's, it's been crazy to think that one year has passed. And during this past year, I've learned a lot. I think we've both learned a lot. Marriage has turned out to be a good teacher. And so I'm going to tell you about three things I've learned about marriage. All right. The first is I've learned a lot about myself. All right, so when, when we got married, uh, Grace Ann really wanted me to start to go to the doctor, like go get an annual checkup, an annual physical. I hadn't been in, in years, maybe even a decade or two. I think the last time I went to the doctor, I got my polio vaccine. And I was planning on going this time around. I thought I was due for a polio vaccine booster, but apparently we eradicated that in 1979. So it was a little bit of a different experience. But I, I go to the doctor, and he's got my chart out, Dr. Foster. And he says, everything checks out, everything looks good, but he says, you got high cholesterol. And it's like, high cholesterol? Okay, what, is, what does that mean? What does that mean? And I'll first tell you, before I tell the rest of the story, that uh, Grace Ann and I had a wonderful anniversary celebration dinner on Friday night. We saw Mike Owens out. And uh, we went to a place called the Oak Steakhouse, and... Uh, you know, I, we, we, we get something different every single time, but one of my favorite meals is the bacon-wrapped filet mignon with truffle butter and bone marrow frites. And if you don't know what bone marrow frites are, it's just a bougie way of saying french fries. Okay? But phenomenal. Really good. So fast forward a couple months pr prior to this, and I'm sitting in the doctor office, and he's, he's saying, you got high cholesterol. It's like, okay, what do I need to do? He said... You gotta eliminate red meat, you gotta eliminate bacon, you gotta eliminate fried foods, and I would limit dairy. So if you're keeping score here, I was 0 for 4 on my wedding anniversary dinner as to foods I should eat. But if Dr. Foster asks, I had a ground turkey burger with microgreens and a brioche bun. All right? Y'all got me there? All right. So the second thing I've learned, that's what I've learned about myself, the second thing what I've learned is I've learned a lot about Grace Ann. And one thing I've learned is that she doesn't do a very good job of paying attention to detail sometimes. And she told me I could tell this story, but so several months ago, I went to Georgia. I'm a big Georgia Bulldog fan. And they won the national championship for football. And they played Alabama. They won. It was a big deal for us because Alabama always beats us. And so Georgia wins. You know, we're super excited. And Grace Ann wanted to do something nice, wanted to surprise me with a Georgia Football National Championship t-shirt. And so she orders it. I didn't know about it. It comes in the mail a week or so later. And she's like, here you go. I got you this. And I open up the t-shirt. I'm like, oh, this, this looks cool. It said, National Champions, Georgia Equestrian. <laughs> Which apparently Georgia had won the Equestrian National Championship, too. I was like, OK, common mistake. She's like, oh my gosh, I'm sorry. 
I'll reorder it, get you the new one. So the second time around, orders another one. A couple weeks later, comes in the mail, get the t-shirt, I open it up. I'm like, oh, this looks familiar. It said, national champions, Georgia equestrian. <laughs> it was the same shirt. But it's okay, now we have two Georgia national equestrian t-shirts. We rock them together when we go to bed at night. Super cute, we're matching. But we, we balance each other out well. I'm super attentive to detail. We balance each other out well. So the third thing I've learned about marriage is just a lot about life itself. And so this, this lesson I'm going to tell you about occurred on our honeymoon. So we got married. We flew down to Cancun, Mexico, stayed in one of those all-inclusive resorts where they'll just bring you anything. You want an enchilada at 11 o'clock at night, you call them up, they'll bring you one to your room, no problem. And so, you know, we, we, had this, we had this really nice room and we had a swim-up pool right next to our room. So, you know, you walk outside, there's a daybed right there and then a pool. So we would spend a lot of afternoons just uh, laying in the daybed and right by the pool, beautiful weather, not a worry in the world. You know, the, the um, cabana boy would come bring you whatever you wanted. And about the third or fourth day, I remember sitting there, like laying there, like thinking to myself, like this is great. Like I could definitely get used to this. Like the weather was perfect. We weren't worried about work, all the wedding planning, nothing. It was, it was, just, it was just perfect. And this thought began to creep into my mind that you know, all throughout my Christian life, I've heard pastors and theologians and people just talk about this idea that you can never find paradise here on earth, that ultimate satisfaction, fulfillment, shalom cannot be found here on earth because the earth is a broken place and the world is only a shadow of the reality to come, like only paradise can be found in heaven. And in that moment I thought, those theologians clearly haven't been to this all-inclusive resort. And I began to think, I was like, maybe paradise can be found here. Maybe paradise can be found in a place like this. Maybe rest and ultimate satisfaction can be found here. And as soon as I began to think that, you know what happened? What happened? A mosquito. What? <laughs> so I see, I'm laying there, and I see a mosquito fly on my knee and saw it in slow motion. He just sucked the blood, took a blight, took a bite, and as soon as that pain set in, any thought of paradise on earth drifted away, and I was reminded, oh yeah, world is still broken. And so that's what I want, I want to talk to you guys tonight, about that lesson that I learned there in Mexico, that no matter how much we can find rest in things such as a day off, or a vacation, or more sleep, or a nap, all great things, all incredible things given to us by God, but true and ultimate satisfaction cannot be found in those things. They can only be found in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. So what I'm going to talk to you guys about tonight is called the rest of resurrection. And so another example of this is, you know, as you kind of think through what that means in your own life, you know, when you go on a vacation, how often is it a restful time, you have a good time, but then you come back home and all you feel is just exhaustion? Anyone feel that way? Yep. Like you're going to have a restful time, but then you feel as exhausted or even more exhausted than when you left. So that's that tension that we feel. Another example, 
for me during the pandemic. You know, when we, at the height of the pandemic, when we had nothing to do, when we were all watching Tiger King and Lysoling our Instacart groceries, when everything was locked down, we had so much free time. There was nothing to do but just chill, hang out. And yet during that time, I was still more stressed, more burdened, more full of anxiety and uncertainty than I ever have before. And it just points to this realization that rest cannot be found in some of the things that we turn to. You know, vacations are good and that days off are a gift from God, but those things alone will not bring rest to our burdened souls. You know, maybe for you, you just feel exhausted in life. You feel exhausted with a job, with school, and that you think, once I reach this finish line, once I'm done with it, then I can find rest. Maybe you're seeking a spouse and it's exhausting to go on date after date or face rejection after rejection and have things just not work out. You just want to find someone where you can find relational rest. Maybe you just feel the weight of life weighing you down and you seek rest in different things such as food or alcohol or pornography or acceptance on social media, yet you find that none of those things ultimately give you the rest and the freedom that you're searching for. We all need rest in our lives, and the reality is, yes, some of us need a break, some of us need a vacation, some of us need sleep. Again, all good things. But I would venture to guess the key to unleashing true rest in our lives is to do this, is to strive less and surrender more, to try less and to trust more, to not rest in our own ability and our own strength, but rest in the finished work of Jesus on the cross, to rest in the resurrection. And we don't find rest, fortunately, in a physical place, but in a person, and that person's name is Jesus. And so for the rest of our time here tonight, I just want to take a look at what it means to rest in the resurrection, what that looks like, what it's looked like in the Old Testament, what it looks like in the New Testament, and what it needs, means for us now. But first, we need some background. And so when I was looking through the Bible about what the Bible says about rest, I started in the Old Testament, and, and two things really stuck out to me. The first is that God wants us to rest. The second, our natural bent is not towards rest. So we see the tension of those in several places in the Old Testament, but a couple places I want to point out to. The first is Isaiah chapter 28. So Isaiah was a prophet who spoke about both the judgment of God and the future promises of God. So to set the scene, in, in chapter 8 of Isaiah, he's specifically speaking to the people of Samaria. And it was a city that Isaiah would describe as proud and also, quote, glorious crowns of the drunks of Israel, a.k.a. the Samaritans knew how to turn up and they were the champions of getting drunk. <laughs> and I bet you they're sure as heck glad that there was that good Samaritan guy who came along and helped that individual because otherwise they just would have been known as a bunch of drunks. That would have been their legacy. But Isaiah writes about them in verse 12. If you'll turn there with me. It says, God has told his people, here is a place of rest. Let the weary rest here. This is a place of quiet rest. But they would not listen. So what they did, they rejected God's offer to enter into his rest. They just said, nah, we're good. We're going to do our own thing. 
And so some commentaries at the time talked about the Samaritan people and talked about how they were just feeling exhausted. They were constantly at war, constantly trying to jockey for position, constantly trying to gain authority and power. And so they were tired. They were worn out. And instead of trusting in God's strength and God's power, they trust in their own ability. That They thought rest would be found in winning a war or even winning a beer Olympics. And despite God extending out his hand and saying, follow me, I will give you rest, they turned and walked the other way. We see a similar story in Jeremiah 6. The the prophet Jeremiah was warning the tribe of Benjamin, one of the 12 tribes of Israel, and he said, this is what the Lord says. Stop at the crossroads and look around. Ask the old godly way and walk in it. Travel its path and you will find rest for your souls. But you reply, no, that's not the road we want. We see the same thing. We see the Israelites at a crossroads. They can either go God's way and find rest and freedom there, or they can seek things out their own way, and they chose their own way. And so we see so much of the story of the Old Testament is God giving his people a covenant, extending a hand to them, offering them rest, yet they chose a different direction. And often that road that they chose was full of destruction, of harm, And that there was judgment and consequences from God to those people, but we see that there was also love. We see also the Israelites, they were about to go into the promised land. They were in exile for such a long period of time. They needed rest. They were experiencing exile and bondage and slavery. They desperately needed rest, yet they let their fear get in the way of entering the place God had made for them to enter God's rest. They said no. And so time and time again, we see in the Old Testament, God experienced this rejection, this wickedness, this rebellion, yet he still sent his son. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God took the old covenant, an old promise that said that you can come to me, that you can experience my presence, my goodness, when you make sacrifice for your sins, when you atone for your sins, and you come to a physical place. And he turned that into a new promise where God entered into our presence and gave us a sacrifice that would take care of everything. And so when Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave, the space where we find rest, redemption, and reconciliation no longer became a physical location. It no longer became a place to go, but a person to follow. And that person is Jesus. And so we hear from Jesus. I'm going to point you to Matthew 11. Tommy alluded to it. It's the verse that talks about, it says this, Come to me. All you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. I love the message translation. It, It puts it this way. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. 
And what a beautiful picture of what it looks like to live in step, live in relation with Jesus. He doesn't want you to work for it because it's already been done. He wants you to stop striving and start surrendering. And there's, there's so much freedom in releasing our burdens and surrendering our burdens over to Jesus, to lay them at the foot of the cross and say, listen, I can't, but you can. The gospel is not about what we do, it's about what has already been done. And, and if Jesus took our heaviest burden of all, the burden of sin, death, eternal punishment, and separation from him, if he took that and put that on his shoulders, won't he take the other burdens you're facing in life as well? And the beautiful thing is he doesn't just take our burdens, take them on, but he turns them into something beautiful. He redeems them. Salvation doesn't stop at the cross. It's a continual work. God gives us a promise in Revelation 21.5. It says, Behold, I am making all things new. And underneath all things include your burdens, your pain, your wounds, your brokenness, the places and spaces where you feel exhausted, where you feel burned out, where you feel like you need rest. Jesus knows. He cares. He understands. His grace is being unleashed, and its work will not be done until everything has been fully and completely made new again. Be encouraged. He is at work even if you don't feel it or see it. And so one way that I've seen this in my life play out, I'll give you one more bonus thing that I've learned about marriage. Marriage makes you confront your emotions. And what, you, what I mean by that is that when I was single, you know, I could just, you know, if I was feeling something, if I was feeling off, I could just kind of shove that away and go in isolation and do something else and forget about it. But in marriage, when you're, an when you're in an intimate relationship with someone else, you're accountable for what you're feeling and you have to explain why you're feeling the way you're feeling. And so this causes you to take inventory on why you're feeling the way that you're feeling. And so this takes some, some self-reflection, some time in prayer, and so I remember there were, there were a couple instances just, just in the past year where I would come home from work and I was just a little irritable, impatient, just something felt off. And initially I would just chalk it up to a tough day at work, stressful day at work. But then I got to the heart of it. I, be, I began thinking. I began kind of really digging, diving deep into the root of the issue. And it made me realize sometimes I don't feel like I'm enough. And I would find out that I would experience, I would have a, a failure, even if it was minor at work. I would, I would fail at something or not live up to the expectations that I placed on myself, and that that would become my identity. A seed would be planted that I wasn't enough. That the enemy took that small lie and he watered it, and it grew into shame, anxiety, a burden that I was never meant to carry. And that's what the enemy so often does. He takes lies that we believe about ourselves, about God, about others, about our future, about our life, and he tries to distract us from the truths of God. That's why he says the enemy has come to steal, kill, and destroy, but God has come to give us life and give it to us abundantly. And this is so important to fix our minds on, God talks about setting our minds on the things above. He talks about whatever is pure, whatever is good, whatever is holy, whatever is truthful. Set your minds on those things. 
He talks about taking every thought, including and especially lies, to take every thought, hold them captive, and submit them to obedience of God. So I remember as I was working through this, I remember one morning reading that message translation of Matthew 11 that we just read. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I began to think, I thought, if God is extending grace to me, why can't I extend grace to myself? And so I began this process of learning the unforced rhythms of grace. I took my burden to the foot of the cross and surrendered it to Jesus. I pray that God would help me believe what is true about myself, what he thinks about me, rather than the lies I tend to believe. And check this out. Guess what happened? Nothing. Work didn't get any better. Work was still stressful. But you know what did change? How I thought about it. My perspective towards it. There became a redemptive purpose toward what I was walking through. And God was taking something broken, giving it meaning, making it something new. Coming to Jesus doesn't shield us from afflictions. It transforms them, though. You know, trying less and surrendering to God doesn't take away your pain, your trauma, your shame, your anxiety. It might. But it won't erase the past or take away the, the wounds. But you know what it will do? It may just change how you walk through those things, how you think about them, your perspective toward them. You know, the stress and struggle will still probably be there, but the whole idea behind unforced rhythms of grace is trying less and allowing God to work in those spaces instead. To depend, to, to depend less on our own ability, our own strength, our own power, and to rest in the goodness of a God who is fighting for you. You know, far too often, myself included, I get burned out because I'm trying to work out my own salvation. I'm trying to do the work of trying to fix my own self, to fix my brokenness, to fix my sin out of my own strength. And I misconstrue the idea of taking up my own cross and think that I have to work to pay for my sin. I have to work in order to earn God's delight and approval. I have to work to fix what's broken in me. But Jesus came to free us from that. That's why he died on the cross. The road to Calvary has already been walked. He came to give us rest. And so this, this was the beautiful lesson that, that I learned about a year ago in, in Mexico. And you know, as I was sitting by the pool, God allowed me to see that true rest isn't found laying by the pool with a drink in your hand saying this is the life. It's laying at the foot of the cross underneath the finished work of Jesus saying come what may because whatever you throw at me I know you will use that for my good and your glory and that's a freeing thought that's a freeing way to walk through life to live life and so I get it I know some of you are here tonight just carrying heavy burdens you can be saying David like that that all sounds great but you don't know what I'm walking through and you're right, I don't know what you're walking through. But Jesus does. He's with you. He has not forgotten you. He will not abandon you. He is producing something of value in your soul. Just hang on. So as we close, I want to encourage you with a few more words from Isaiah. This was his message to God's people who felt the same way. They just couldn't see any hope for their situation.
They were exhausted, fed up, and and Isaiah encouraged them and us now with these words. It says, look up in the heavens. Who created all the stars? He brings them out like an army, one after another, calling each by its name. Because of his great power and incomparable strength, not a single one is missing. O Jacob, how can you say the Lord does not see your troubles? O Israel, how can you say God ignores your rights? Have you never heard? Have you never understood? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of all the earth. He never grows weak or weary. No one can measure the depths of his understanding. He gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. Even youths will become weak and tired, and young men will fall in exhaustion. But those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not grow faint. So that's the encouragement. I also want to leave you with some application. So I've been reading this book. Um, it's called Waymaker by Ann Voskamp. Anyone heard of that? Check it out. It's a good read. But she lays out some practices for helping us trust and rest in God. She lays out what's called sacred. She says she doesn't spend quiet time in the morning. She spends sacred time in the morning. And so it's this whole idea, it's this acronym of trying to help us orient our hearts and minds towards depending and trusting on God throughout our lives. And so feel free to take a picture of this if you want, but we'll walk through them. So S means stillness to know God. It asks, are you slowing down and being still in the presence of God? Are you building out time in your schedule to sit with God? The A, attentiveness to hear God. Are you spending intentional time in the word of God, listening to what he may have for you? For me, attentiveness means no distractions, no phone, nothing, just me, the word of God. The third is my favorite, cruciformity to surrender to God. And this is this whole idea of how am I going to live in surrender? How am I going to live in constant dependence to God? Again, not our natural posture. Fourth, our revelation to see God. Are you expecting to receive a fresh word, a revelation from God? Are you not just going through the motions, checking off the box, but are you expecting when you sit down to have an encounter with the creator of the universe? Fifth, examine to return to God. So once you start to go about your day, after you leave your sacred time, once you go about your day, the rhythms of the day, are you constantly returning to God? The day will try to distract you and reorient you and redirect your attention away from God. Are you returning to him in that moment? The final one is D, doxology to thank God. What are you grateful for? How has he blessed you? How has he provided for you? And so beginning each day with these questions in mind will renew us and help show us how to walk through life resting in the resurrection. And if you're here tonight and you're new to faith and you're like, man, this sacred thing, it all kind of sounds weird. Yeah, it's a little weird. But I encourage you to lean in, to take a small step. I don't think Jesus is asking you tonight to sell your possessions and become a missionary 
He may one day, but not today, probably not. But what he is inviting you into is a relationship. And this is his, listen, this is his message for you tonight. Wherever you are, I want you to close your eyes and envision Jesus telling you this. Are you tired? Worn out? Burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me. And you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. And that's the God I want to follow. That's the life I want to live. Don't you? So many of us are walking around with heavy burdens, with, with pain, with stress, with an anxiety. And we have a God who's offering us to live freely and lightly. I think it's a way of living the world needs. That we look around and see the heaviness and the brokenness in the world. And the world so desperately needs a message of freedom. A message of rest. And I don't think we can carry that message of rest into the world until we ourselves have found rest and rest in Jesus. And so what does that look like for you? I'm going to pray, and then Corey's going to come up and direct you guys into groups, but I want you to begin to think about what does that look like? Yes, some of you do need to find rest in more sleep, in a vacation, in a day off. But are you seeking the place where you can truly find your satisfaction, where you can truly find rest and rest in Jesus? That's the kind of community that we want to create here. We want to create an environment where you can come and experience that rest. We want you to come to experience the love, the mercy, the grace of Jesus. Because part of the presence, being in the presence of Jesus, is being in a state of rest. The invitation is there. Will you accept it? If you want to talk about what that looks like, what your next step may be, come talk to me, Matt, Corey, Carrie, any of us, we're here for you. Love you guys. Let me pray. God, we love you. We thank you that you are a God who just offers us rest that we don't have to be weighed down by rules and regulations and animal sacrifices anymore, but you offer us life. All we have to do is just say yes to your invitation, God. So my prayer is that whatever it looks like, that you would give us the boldness and the courage to say yes to that invitation in our lives, God. That we would develop spiritual practices that bring us closer to you, that would believe truths about what you say about us and what you say about yourself. That whatever lies that we're holding on to, God, that we would lay those down at the cross. That we would be strong enough to admit that we don't have it together, that we and we alone cannot fix our brokenness, we cannot fix our sin, our shame, our pain, that we, we would surrender those things over to you and that we would live a life just dependent and reliant on you. We're expectant of the work that you will do as a result, God. Come and move in the hearts and the minds of everyone in this place, God. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name.
Amen.